You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. We are here today on a really special day with a really special guest. Um, I'm beyond thrilled. He's been entertaining me for years, but um, most specifically in quarantine via his fantastic Instagram. Um, That's my friend, Wayne Brady. Hi, Wayne. Thank you, Miss Eva. (laughs) Oh, man, you... um, You've been living a modern family life, I would say, uh, these last several weeks. Have you not? Well, actually, I've been living a modern family life the entire time that my daughter's been alive. So, That's true. So for me, it's it's nothing uh, new or out of the ordinary. I think there are more people that that are that are um, in a positive relationship of family love with their ex than most people give credit for. Like we, we just go, Oh, that's so weird. That's so weird. But, but the question I ask is why, why would it be weird to be friends and to love the person that gave you a child and that you helped make, make an amazing human being with, if neither one of you have done nothing to harm nor hurt nor hinder the other person. So it is the best of all worlds. You're, you're supposed to marry your best friend, but if the marriage doesn't work out, you still have the best friend part. And that's what, what Mandy, who is my uh, ex-wife and, and my business partner, my producing partner and co-director and a lot of the stuff, stuff I've done, we, we have that kind of relationship. But I guess because of social media and all of us being at home and TikTok being, being this thing, it's kind of offered a little bit of an insight to it. Yeah. So to the uninitiated, it seems like, oh, that's weird. But, but it's been great. It's been I absolutely great. Because if we can further the conversation, then cool. I love that. I love that. I think I think what's really special is, you know, everyone's having their own quarantine experience with family and with their true life, their true inner self life. And we're getting to see yours in in our sort of bizarro world of quarantine. And I think I think it's been really fun for a lot of oh, people thank you. yeah and bizarro yeah. it is it's a, odd, <laughs> it's a very odd world right now um yeah uh, how are you wayne tell me how you are today tell me how you've been tell me tell me what covid19 and this current social political 
race crisis that our country is feeling has has been for you? Well, well, to be honest, I mean, I I wake up most most days frustrated and and a little pissed off because I'm pissed off at the COVID situation, not because I'm pissed off at COVID. It's a it's a you know it's a it's a virus. It's a it's something that I, I cannot control, but I'm pissed off at our country's handling at it. I'm uh, pissed off at the dismissive nature that some people seem to have when I turn on the TV or look on Instagram. There's somebody who says that they will not wear a mask because it's their right. And if God intended for us to, to wear masks, we would have had them. And you can't tell me what to do when this country was built on on idealism and and individualism. And well, that's a problem. It's a problem in the sense of, just because you don't care for you, you that that means that you person coughing or just walking around breathing in my space, you don't care for my grandmother. Right. You don't care for my daughter. You don't care for me. You don't know what I have in my body. Most of us don't know what is that invisible trigger that detonates inside some of us when when they're infected so why risk it and that's the and and that's the frustrating part and that's linked into the socioeconomic uh, imbalance of the people on the front lines um the putting up with people that sometimes are in a better uh, uh financial place than them that walk into their place of business without a mask um, in uh, forcing the, the, their own life agenda on them, and that gets their their family sick, and it it takes someone else out of the picture. And sometimes, a lot of times, rather, that person is a black or brown person, yeah. and that hurts me, and that frustrates me. And I see see the pain that we go through, and we're telling all these stories now. And I've shared a couple of mine on Instagram about feeling. Yeah, uh, waking up every day. And by the way, these are feelings that I felt before this happened. These are feelings that I felt while I've been on TV, smiling and making folks happy for years. It's just that there, when we talk about some of these things, they were batted aside sometimes as, why are you talking about race stuff again? Huh? It's okay. Yeah. yeah. And only now are we really paying attention because, because the, uh, the, the straw, you know, yeah. finally broke the camel's back and people are listening. And it's not that I need a big mea culpa from people. I personally need people to listen, just like all of my brothers and sisters. You you just have to listen. It's been the same old song. Yeah. Um, so that's the long winded answer to your question. Some some days are better than others. I uh, advocate mental health in the black community. Um, I I've had a couple days. Two days last week, I will absolutely admit that yeah. I couldn't really get up and function because I was so distraught that I shut down yeah. and I had to get up and get going. But if I can do it and I own up to the fact that I'm very privileged, I have a great life out here. I have a beautiful home. I've got a place far out in the woods where I don't need to worry about about bumping into people and whatnot. But that doesn't affect the fact that that my mind and my heart are still troubled. And so I know that if I'm in that state, there are lots of brothers and sisters who are not in that place that wake up feeling that, that are damaged and that feel like they cannot get up and they cannot get up from underneath this dark cloud. Yeah. So, so I try to fight for that. So that's how I feel. Yeah. Thank you for that. I mean, the, the mental health crisis that is happening right now for 
everyone, right? The humanity of of every of every child who's being raised right now. That's that's something that I'm constantly struck by as I talk to parents about about their five year old and their six year old having a, a Zoom birthday party and not having the touch of another kid. I mean, that's so affected. Never mind everything else going on in the world and and between between us as humans, um, it, it is, it is a moment and you're absolutely right that this COVID moment brought us to this reckoning, to this place of, of, of straws breaking camel's backs in order for change to be instigated and, 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 and change to happen. And I think the fact that it's happening is the one thing that helps me sleep at night as upset mm. and angry as I am, I think, but I think it's, I think it's all going to get better. I think we're on a path for better with this. Well, we have to think that. I mean, yeah. right? I mean, because thinking the alternative yeah. uh, is to just give in and give up. And, uh, and, and that goes against the humans at our hearts, I think, are survivors. Um, no, one wants to, no one wants to die. Yeah. Most people do not just want to die. We do not want to give up. We want to make our situations better. We want to get out from underneath that rock um, if there's a rock on us. So so it's good for us to feel that it will get better because there's a pushing happening. And, that, and that's why that's frustrating as well when you look online, especially in the light of everything that's been brought to, to light. And there's still people showing their ignorance left and right and, and digging in. That's the yeah. thing I think... Is, is when you see someone ignorant, if you want to go up to them and go, hey, let's have a conversation or watch this piece of art, watch this play, watch this music video, watch this thing, listen to this poem, and maybe it'll change your, your heart. When you see someone go, hell no, I believe what I believe. I believe I'm better than you. Screw your, screw your black lives. Get these gays out of here. I don't want to hear it. Build that wall. Get out of here. When that person is dug in so hard, it, it does nothing but he's like, wow, you really feel that? You really hate me that much and you don't even know me? That's deep. So I have no, so we have to believe it's getting better. Yeah. 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 Because how else do we continue? No, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, listen, this, the show stemmed out of the idea of nostalgia and thinking about my past and thinking about what inspired me to become a Broadway producer, what inspired me to enjoy my life and my, my free time and my hobbies as a kid that helped me find who I am, helped me find my voice was the shows I was in and the fantasy world and my deep dive into musical theater to teach me about emotions, history, society, relationship, heartbreak, mm. dreams coming true. I mean, that's what, that's what shows were for me. And I, I think I've been thinking a lot about my past as I think about what our future will be. I think that's an intended consequence, right? When you're at a period of change, you reflect on your past and your, and your beginnings, what every kid's early shows did for them as artists mm -hmm. and performers that they became today, I think actually set them apart to be the people of right, to be the people who aren't sitting here closing their eyes to the change happening, who aren't pointing fingers at, you know, we don't need to hear that Black Lives Matter. No, we don't need to hear that, the, that, that you have to wear a mask. I, I think 
early experiences with storytelling, which is what theater is, help make us better listeners and better communicators. And, um, you know, so everything you're describing that frustrates you about, you know, people today, people in our present, um, I think it's because they didn't have theater as a kid. I'm going to put it there. You know what? I <laughs> I like that. I, I agree with you about those uh, formative um, experiences. Uh, the, the sad part is I think that there are two people who are super, super duper ignorant. There, there are the people who I'm envisioning as you were talking, I'm envisioning people that, that never had access. Yeah. And that's a shame. Yeah. Um, there are people that never had access and, 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 and so they're entrenched in their ways. But then, then there's the flip side. There's the, there's the very wealthy person who did have access if they wanted it. That 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 mm-hmm. they they could go to see a piece of theater. Their their family is very well well to do, but an experience like that doesn't doesn't jive with them. They they don't necessarily want to go. They're like, ah, you know, I don't want to go and and sit through through that boring crap. And thus they they don't expose their kids to it either. So so no one gets the experience in that family of connection of even the communal experience of sitting and watching a story being told and and having that little bit of magic touch them so so they've they also believe that they exist um um I'm above the fray because they don't get the human connection like that because yeah. they're better so so i completely agree with you about theater um i remember my the very first thing that i think i ever saw that uh that touched me live was uh, because of the neighborhood that I was raised in this place called Tangelo Park uh, in Florida. I was raised, raised in what, what one would call, call, call the hood, you know, it's a neighborhood and, and, and it was a black neighborhood. And, uh, and um, I was bust out to see Peter and the wolf. Ah. And I think, you think a lot of kids see, see that first. And I was bust to go see that. And that. Was that an that, opera or was it a ballet? Um, it was the ballet. Okay. Um, um, it was the ballet and the symphony, and it touched me so much. And I'd already been primed for theater because I grew up watching a lot of PBS, so I was already a <laughs> a bit of a nerd and and um, and a, and different from some of the other kids kids that I knew because I grew up watching a lot of PBS. So I watched Upstairs Downstairs. So I watched great performances, um, the great performances series. I watched a lot of uh, old. Uh, Sammy Davis Jr. in 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 black and white, and Sid Caesar, Ernie Kovacs, the show of shows, um, Nat Natkin Cole, all of the old variety specials. Oh, wow. So I knew that I loved that. I loved watching the the Oklahoma musical um, <laughs> when it was presented on PBS, and and was just amazed and old uh, black and white of Porgy and Bess. So when I first so when I saw Peter and the Wolf and was touched by that music. It, it touched me in a way that nothing ever had. And then I had to wait until I was 14 and I, uh, and, and I saw Children of a Lesser God. Oh, wow. And, and they came to my school, one of the touring companies. And I, I got a chance to meet, meet the cast and the director later. And I was so starstruck that the fact that these people did this story in front of me and I was able to, you know, and for a 14-year-old to sit in place for two and a half hours, um, was amazing. Uh, so, so I know that theater touched me and, uh, shaped a lot of my worldview. Wayne, what town was that in? Where did you grow up? 
in Orlando. Right, 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 right. So, so the do you remember the um, the call letters of your local PBS station? Oh man, you're gonna put me on the spot. Let me see. Because I, I grew can... up in Boston, and it was WGBH, and for whatever reason, I will never forget those call letters because. You know, I, I'm a little younger than you, but I, I grew up in the days, you know, we, we didn't have cable um, for, for many years. So I, I, like you, I watched so much PBS. And so I was, I was early watching those broadcasts on great performances. It's all right. Oh, don't, don't worry. Well, if you don't remember your no, I can tell, tell you because I remember, but it's funny, your, the Boston PBS actually generated a lot of programming. It did. I remember watching the Boston Pops on PBS, but also a lot of um a lot of the educational shows. I believe Zoom came out of Boston for for a while yeah. because it was always presented by Children's Television Workshop, I think. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. Yeah, so I remember that. But I can tell you I want to say it was WMFE. <laughs> WMFE. And, and I remember that yeah. be because of the um the pledge drives. Yeah. You're watching WMFE PBS with your contribution. <laughs> All of this programming can come to you. It's provided for you, for the people, and by the people. Up next, we have Upstairs, Downstairs, followed by I, Claudius, <laughs> next on PBS. Isn't it funny how our memory works? The things that just stick in there? Oh, yeah. From years ago, you know, sort of unnecessary, meaningless fact, but actually quite meaningful. Very much so. Yeah. 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 That That's great. Tell, tell us about what the first show that you were in was. The first show that I was in was um, a play called Dark of the Moon. Mm-hmm. And I played a character named Uncle Smelly Q Jed. And that play, I've told this story so many times <laughs> in my life because it's like my superhero origin story. I, I was a painfully shy kid. Um, my folks are from the U.S. Virgin Islands, from St. Thomas and St. Croix. And in the neighborhood that I was raised in, not a lot of people talked like them. They had a very strong, strong uh, accent. Um, and so if you did talk like them, then you were either Haitian or Jamaican. And for whatever reason, in the early 80s, I, I be- there, there was a thing going on where a lot of Haitian and Jamaican immigrants were coming over, and it's that silly American thing that we do. They're coming, they're going to take our jobs. We, we don't want them around. But, but in Florida, it was about the Haitians, the Jamaicans, and sometimes the Cubans. So there was a whole thing in my neighborhood. So people made fun of me because of my grandma's accent. They made fun of me because um, they thought that we had money, even though we, we didn't have any money. She just made sure that I was clean. Yeah. When I left, left the house, she dressed me like little Lord Fauntleroy sometimes. <laughs> um, uh, so I kept to myself. So no one ever knew that I wanted to perform. No one knew that I could. I knew that I could. I practiced in my room. I would sing, I would dance, I would do, um, I would uh, record myself reading books and reading plays and do all the character voices and uh, act things out and build sets and do all this stuff, stuff in my backyard and in my room. So fast forward to I'm in 10th, uh, 9th and 10th grade and I'm in ROTC. And I choose to Mm -hmm. do that, A, because 
I'm trying to develop a relationship with my father who was in the picture, but he was in the military on all over the world. So he let me live with my grandmother so that I wouldn't have to uh, move around. So I figured being in the military or being in ROTC was the closest, this bond that I can have with him so we can have something in common. Mm -hmm. So I'm in ROTC and also, and my daughter makes fun of me for this, in my mind, I'm playing the role of a soldier. I loved wearing the uniform. When I was in private, I called my uniform a costume. So in, so I'm playing, <laughs> playing the role of a cadet. So I figured I'm going to play this role so well, and I'm going to get, get promoted, and I'll get advanced because I'm doing this thing. And I loved marching because it gave me a chance, because I wasn't dancing, but- right. I had to step in rhythm and I was really good at it. And I was on the saber team. So I did all this stuff with a sword, you know, you flip it and you throw it. And, and it was, and it was a way for someone who was very shy to get attention without standing out because I'm part of a unit. Um, But I envied every single kid at my school who was in the thespian society. And um, in my 10th grade year, uh, one of the guys who was in ROTC with me had to take acting as one of his electives. He had to drop out of the play. So he came and he said, uh, hey, does anyone want to take my place in this school play? And of course, I'm with the fellas and I'm using the air quotes. It was like, yeah, well, the school play. That's so stupid. They're, they're just running around. And it was a thespian initiation week. So they're all running around in um in togas and and doing all of the silly stuff that you do during that time right. and uh, we're like yeah you know what it'd be fun is i should take your place in the play and then i'll just be stupid and make it look dumb <laughs> and all you guys can see me because we'll laugh at them yeah bro that's awesome <laughs> great man i walked into that theater and it changed my life. It was like an after-school special. The door opened up, and I see see these kids playing around the piano. People in costume. It was like fame. Um, wow. And uh, and I knew from that second. And it sounds it so sounds like an after-school special. I knew even before. I didn't know what the play was. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. I just knew that I was home. I knew that I was there with other weirdos like me. Yeah. And the, and and the teacher that I met that day has been a lifelong friend, Karen Karen Ruggiero. And I flew her out to all my broad to any show on Broadway or to any TV show that I'm shooting or any movie. She is right there. Wow. Um, because I I owe that lady for saying you can do this. And she cast me and she said, well, you're going to be Uncle Smelly Q. Jed. And I was able to make people laugh with this character. And as soon as I got that laugh, I went, oh, this is what this is. And I auditioned immediately. I thought, oh, well, now that I'm an actor, because I'm in a school play, I'm just going to go audition for something. (laughs) So I went out and I auditioned. Our local community theater was doing a production of uh, Raisin in the Sun. And I went out and, uh, and auditioned and got a role in that. And from that, I actually got my first real gig um in a touring production of uh this show called true colors which was an equity show it toured all of florida doing all these schools so i started working immediately this episode is brought to you by shopify do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real pos you need shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Well, let's go back to the high school for a minute um, because you're describing something that, you know, you, you made a joke. Of course, it it would be hard to believe that what I'm saying is true. It'd be like an after school special or whatever you said. And the truth of the matter is because we're all theater geeks and my guess is everyone who listens to us <laughs> both on this podcast and in regular life is also a theater geek that we, we, we get it. We get exactly what you're talking about with that feeling when you suddenly know you belong somewhere and that you were always meant to, to be an actor and to be in a, to be a theater kid in high school. So that's amazing. But my, my question actually for you is you had a stutter at one point. And I'm curious, was it gone by the time you were auditioning in high school or did you find a way to, to, to fix it, to be an actor? What, what was that process? Well, I've talked about this too, and it's still kind of, it's, it's interesting to me. I don't like to say that I had a debilitating stutter because it wasn't that. Um, I've worked with, with, with the stuttering um, association and and a couple other uh, groups and and to see the children who do have that block that they struggle to form a word and and to get their thoughts out. Mine wasn't like that. I believe I'm no doctor, but my stutter was a product of anxiety. Mm-hmm. A, it's a anxiety and b excitement. So if I felt very intimidated or very anxious like I was going to be made fun of, like I couldn't speak, like I couldn't get the words out. If I talked, then I would um, get shut down. Then I would stutter because I couldn't get it past. I could feel the word wanting to come out and I'm trying my best to make it happen. Or if I got incredibly excited about something, then it would be hard to, to get the word out and I would get stuck on a letter. Um, as I became older, uh, and as I started acting, it of course went away if I was auditioning and it went away if I was speaking because oddly enough that the time when you're supposed to be the most nervous when you're auditioning, I had to be super focused. Right. And when that happened, whew, it just went away, wow. no stutter. And through that and through starting to act in high school, I learned to be able to communicate and slow what I had to say down enough in my own mind so that I could get my thoughts across. It's like Mel Tillis, the famous uh, country singer who was a stutterer, a, a, a very, very, uh, his stutter was very hard. When he sang, he had the most gorgeous voice and he wouldn't know it, but it accessed a different part of the brain. So I guess I learned to use that and to calm myself down. But even now, you know, in this day, uh, there are times when I get super excited about something when I'm explaining it to my daughter or, um, or I get an idea or I am talking to someone that it will come and it's hard for me to form that yeah. thought. And I do have to breathe and take, take a second 
but there are times when you would never know that I had a stutter. And then there are other times when, when you can definitely detect when, when it's there and I get locked on a word and I have to repeat it. When, when I'm on stage, even when I'm doing improvisation, I haven't any time to stutter because my mind is moving a million miles a minute to connect the thoughts that I need to do this thing in the second. There's no time. Yeah. So, so I don't have the lag. That makes sense. That makes sense. I had a lisp when, when I was, um, 10, 11, 12. And, um, I really wanted to act. And I remember going to speech therapy and the therapist letting me graduate from speech therapy class and said, you're not, you're not cured. You haven't solved it, but you, you claim you want to act. So I'm graduating you and you're going to have to figure it out. <laughs> and wow. so I started, I, I, I graduated elementary school, went to middle school and said, well, I want to act. And she said, I had to just figure it out. So, and my lisp was gone. It was that, it was that easy or that hard, however you want to look at it. But I, I went to therapy for four years for it. Wow. And then finally you were able to get rid of it by yourself. Yeah. By just saying, I don't want it anymore because I'd like to be an actor. The mind is a powerful thing. Yeah. It's such a powerful thing. It really is. So let, tell me, tell me uh, more about your first professional gig. So this was the touring, this was a touring production you said, because when we asked this question uh, on my first show, what was your first professional? It could be anything. It, it could be any, as long as it's paid professional. So this week, could even well, be stage my... crew or, or being an usher. But if it's a performer, that's the best. Yeah, I was very lucky. Um, now, now that I look back and, <laughs> and you and I both know, and, and to the people listening, we know the lottery ticket slash odds of getting hit by a meteor that it is each job, right? Even yeah. if you're talented, each job, much less if the first thing that you audition for and the second and the third, that's just, A, it's talent, but it was so many other things that, that I was lucky. Yeah, uh, growing up in Orlando in the late 80s, early 90s was a beautiful time because um, Universal was just built and they wanted to be, uh, be Hollywood um, East. Uh, Southeast. And we had a great dinner theater called the Mark II Dinner Theater. Oh, I know. The had, Mark II. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did Chorus Line there. I can say with pride and a little bit of embarrassment that I probably was the worst Richie to <laughs> ever professionally perform that role. I challenged someone to be a worse Richie than myself um, <laughs> because Richie needs to be like the dancer dancer. I could dance, but even at that point, I wasn't trained and I wasn't flexible. I'd never taken a ballet class. I was a hip hop dancer and and I had rudimentary jazz. I should not have been Richie. It was because I sang the crap out of it. And, and because of the talent pool in Orlando at that point with Young Brothers, it was like, well, this other guy, Joey, uh, <laughs> Joey Dowdy used to dance for for Disney. Joey was busy. This other brother, Rob, who who worked for Disney, was doing something else. Sure, Wayne, come on, let's go. <laughs> I was like, "Yay! It's my first equity gig. This is amazing." Um, so uh, so so I uh, got the best of all worlds. The talent pool was small enough that I could rise um, to 
to a working place pretty quickly. And we had tons of opportunities. Disney was there. I, I was a singer dancer for a Disney. Um, I worked off property at this resort they had um, at this uh, nighttime din- dinner show called Memory Lane. So that that was one of my first gigs. But my absolute first paying gig was I was a character at Walt Disney World. <laughs> that was the first real paycheck. And that happened when I was a senior in high school. And 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 I was a I was a dancer in the electrical light parade and I was a toy soldier in the Christmas parade. And um, I did events as a, uh, as a hip hop dancer. Um, That is hilarious. Um, Obviously you'll be sending us a photo. (laughs) If I can find one, I absolutely will. There's a picture somewhere on the internet of myself and Chris Judd, who, who's uh, who's an amazing dancer and choreographer and director, but his big claim to fame at one point was he was J-Lo's, I think, second husband. Um, and uh, and we were arch pushers, which was the name of the role. We were best friends at Disney. So there's some picture of both of us standing with small world dolls in our Disney costumes uh, doing bell kicks. So when you, when you are starring in a Disney show, are you performing on concrete on on the sidewalks? Are you inside a, a proscenium theater? Like, please draw us the picture of this insanity. Well, it all depends on which show you were in. Um, my whole thing, my goal in life when I auditioned for Disney as as a character was I wanted to become a character so I could get in, so I could audition for for the shows. If you're doing the parades and you're a character, then you're, you know, you're goofy or you're whatever the character is and you're marching on main street. So it's on the road, you know, that big long road that winds all the way through. So, so you're on main street dancing. I also was a scarecrow uh, in the daytime parade in the scarecrow unit. We were all (laughs) dancing scarecrows dancing with our, um, with our farm, farm girls. And and so talk about shin splints. We're dancing in those old Re- Reebok high, high tops doing like, a, you know, the whole thing was like you run, 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 bop, ma, jump, 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 jump. You jump on top of the float, you jump off again, and then you're doing fuates in the middle of the street, and then you run over here. My knees were messed up, but I was having the best time of my life. And um, then I wanted to be in the rap and roll show, which that is a proscenium art show. So you're inside a theater, and I wanted to be the singer in the rap and roll show. And this is another one of those examples of, I'm not going to harp on it here, but back in the day, it was a joke that if you got cast at, cast at Disney, if you were the black performer in a cast, you were the black performer in the cast. So don't, so don't think there's going to be two of you or, or, Hey, there's the other, because it was going to be you. Yeah. So this dude named Rob, I, I remember Rob like it was yesterday because I looked at Rob, I was like, I want to be Rob. <laughs> I, want, I want to be a kid of the kingdom. So I want to be Rob's job because Rob is the one black dude in that show. So either I can be a kid of the kingdom or I want to be the singer at rap and roll. And to my knowledge, there hadn't been a, been a black singer at rap and roll. And I wanted to be that guy. So that, so that was my whole aim. You know, it's funny how you look at your goals. Yeah. And the goals that you had when you were a kid versus the goals I had when I was 16 were different than the goals I had when I was 20, yeah. then when I was 25, then 30, then 40, then now. Um, and so to think that at one point, my biggest aspiration was to be the lead singer in rap and roll. And then I figured at some point, maybe 
I can try to get to Broadway. I ultimately would love to be on Broadway, but God, there's so many people. And how do you even get to Broadway? And maybe I can be a headliner on a cruise ship. Right. Maybe I can sing and dance in a review that like the goals that you have that shift. Yeah. So I look at that young, young kid going, man, think bigger, man. Yeah. 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 It, it's very hard to know. It's very hard to know you can think bigger. I'm sure as a, as a kid in Orlando, having, having these opportunities to know what was possible. It's, um, I mean, it's, it's why you're an inspiration, frankly, I think to, to so many people, because so many people are getting to see what is possible, um, through, through your life and through the work you've done. It's, it's really amazing. And, um, I, I, I think it's a moment if we can, to just sort of talk about today and, and the fact that today's also Juneteenth and this is a, a really meaningful day. And yet I feel like this year it is a really meaningful day to more Americans than it has ever been. And I'm noticing that as a white person, as someone who's known about Juneteenth um, for, for a few years now, not, not forever, not for my whole life. It, it, I, I really didn't really know about it till later in life. Um, and I think there was a blackish episode a couple of years ago that, that really taught me it. And I've been obsessed with it ever since. And this year it's, um, I'm sure it's, bringing up all sorts of feelings. So I, I just would love to hear how you're feeling today. I feel good because out of this tumult and out of all of this, this pain that's happening right now, I'm not going to speak of in the past tense because it's happening right now. America has never been more aware. And like you say, you're aware of Juneteenth. You're aware of Juneteenth. That is a beautiful thing. The, the sad part is, you know that there are lots of Black people who weren't aware of Juneteenth at one point because we just didn't know. Yeah. Information in our community was never disseminated properly in schools. And I'm not just going to say that to the Black community, but in public schools, you weren't taught the true in-depth history of the U.S. We're taught, oh, hey, look. There's there's Vasco da Gama. There's a map. America Vespucci. There's Columbus. Now there's settlers. Oh, they're so brave they came over from England. Hey, Indians, thanks. Bye bye. And by the way, don't call them that because that's inappropriate. There's there's some land. Let's bring over some black people. And there's some Chinese. Look at us. And now I wave a flag. No, yeah. it's so much bigger than that. And the pieces that are left out are things like Juneteenth, like Tulsa, Oklahoma, like Black Wall Street, like Rosewood, like like the Harlem Renaissance, like the like uh, the the communities, the work done by the indigenous people uh, um, that were here before the the white settlers. Yeah. So so the fact that we there's such a gap in what we know. Fast forward to right now, in the middle of all this, we have white people all over this country giving Juneteenth shout outs. Yeah. There are Juneteenth specials on, on Instagram led by big, big black uh, um, pop stars and, and movie stars and, and business people. And folks are, are noting this last year. There wasn't this type of attention on Juneteenth. Right. That's amazing. The BET awards this year that I'm a part of, I'm, I'm doing a tribute to little Richard in it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the the BET Awards this year are going to be simulcast on BET and on CBS because it, because they're owned by Viacom. But on CBS, which That's- is my home network for for Let's Make a Deal and some of the other things I do, but I can honestly say because I joke about it all the time, you can count the black people on CBS right. at, at a certain point. Things maybe they're not changing quickly, but there is a spotlight on right now, which is so exciting, which is why this Juneteenth is so amazing because people are paying attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's beautiful. So I woke up today. I'm happy. Um, I'm going to do some work as soon as we finish talking. Um, I've got a session to do for for this Disney project. And then, and then I'm going to go support a Black-owned restaurant and uh, buy June, Juneteenth lunch and dinner for a bunch of my friends and enjoy. And I think that that is why this is a beautiful day. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I totally agree. I totally agree. The last question we ask uh, on each episode is it's dream time, Wayne. If you could be in any show anywhere at any time, what (laughs) would it be? Any show anywhere at any time. (sighs) You know that's a big question, right? Like, like that is such a huge question because, of course, the narcissist inside every actor, you think that there are 44 roles that you can play um, that, that should have been yours. Um, at any time going right now, um, wow, that is such a... Okay, I guess just off the top of my head, I would love to have been so shows that have already run, right? It could it could be a dream scenario that you have in your head that um that that has never happened. It could be, you know, guys and dolls on Mars. <laughs> which i want to see i want to see that happen into um, woods in the amazon it's whatever ooh, or it could you be, just or it could be something that happened in the past ooh, Tell me. that's it well okay so i've got a couple dreams then i would have loved to have been in guys and dolls um but specifically if i could go back in time it would have been great to be in guys and dolls in the motown the produced revival oh um, that I believe Ken Page starred in. Um, that would have been amazing. Um, I would love to, at some point, and I don't, and I want to do it before you know. I, I, it, in ten, twelve years from now, before I become too old for it, <laughs> I would love to do Burr on Broadway mm. because I had an amazing time doing it with the second cast um, in Chicago. Uh, that's a dream of mine, um, and. I would have loved to, when I was younger, I so wanted to be one of the princes in Into the Woods. Oh. That that was a dream role. And I want to be Joe Hardy in uh, Damn Yankees. Wow. Wow. I feel like all of those, I, 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 can't, I can't guarantee, but I feel like all of those are pretty possible, Wayne. I, I can hear- well, Fingers I, crossed. I can hear your agony now and it sounds breathtaking. <laughs> I love that. That is one of the, oh, that song. That song <laughs> is one of the most amazing songs for, for my money in musical theater as a guy. Like that, that is really a, a, a number. That is 
just gorgeous. It is. It is. And it's so layered because Stephen Sondheim is so genius with every lyric he writes. My God. Um, so there's actually a surprise section of the show that we never tell our guests. Um, oh, okay. Because we, we like to keep you on your toes. And it's a lightning round. Surprise. And, and surprise. And, you know, I've been very inspired by this conversation. Your passion is um, contagious. And um, what, what we do in our lightning round is we list off classic musicals and we put 30 seconds on the clock. And the goal is to have you do a, a free association of the first emotional theme that comes to your mind from wow. that musical. Okay. And then I sort of track how close and matched we are. Um, there's no wrong answer. Everyone has different emotional themes that they're connected to in these shows, but it's really fun to see how close everyone is to each other. Um, so, and if you don't know a show, just say pass and I'll move on to the next one. Got it. Got it. All right. 30 seconds is on the clock. And the first show is company um uh pass into the woods oh um loss guys and dolls uh love oliver um trust hello dolly uh the emotional theme of hello dolly uh, uh reminiscing the whiz pride footloose Joy. Hair. Um, guilt. Hamilton. Oh, um, dream. Perfect. You did good. You did really good. Why were you nervous? <laughs> you know, because I wanted to, because the words hit me all at once. It's like, how can I express everything I feel about this musical in just one word? Okay, just go. Um, yeah, yeah. And Company, that's one of the ones that I, I have never seen a full production of Company. You have to. You have to. Um, I'd go with loneliness, I think on that one mm. um that's something i think about a lot with that show um but you'll see it and then you'll know and then we'll talk again yes ma'am wayne brady this was such a delight i really appreciate you sharing today with us and i appreciate everything you're doing for the world right now and for entertainment and to make us laugh and to make us feel and i just think you're the best so i thank you for today and for always. No, I thank you so much for having me and thank you for pushing the conversation. Every single time that someone does a podcast, especially with love, you aren't doing this because you are bored. You're, you're doing this out of passion and out of what's in your heart. So every time someone does something like this with that behind it, it just spreads out okay. and it, and, and I'm so happy to be a part of it. And, and I'm looking forward to, to us being able to work, work together and bring, bring joy in some, some way to people, because that's what this is needed right now. Joy in some form. Amen, my friend. Thank you. Be well, be strong. And thanks for listening. I away on that little boat to heaven and by some chance. My First Show is produced by Josh Altman, MEP, Dory Berenstein, and Alan Seals, and is part of the Broadway Podcast Network. 
This episode was edited by Derek Gunther. Special thanks to Leslie Papa and Whitney Holden-Gore at Vivacity Media Group. For more info about the podcast, visit bpn.fm backslash myfirstshow. Follow me on Instagram at Eva R. Price. It's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.